0: Welcome to Growing Home, the podcast that helps you take care of the place that means the most to you, your home. I'm your host, Terry Therian, alongside your co-host, Glenn Gittex. So good morning, Len, and we've got another early session for the Growing Home podcast team.
1: Yes, the sun's up, Terry. Time to get to work.
0: Yeah, nice nice warm day ahead of us here. So, But one thing before we get going into today's episode, um, we've got a new, we'll call it feature, of the Growing Home Podcast. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, yeah, this is a great one. So a fun thing, uh, we're going to do the Growing Home Podcast grab bag. And what we're going to do is everybody who emails us between the episodes at podcast at com. so that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at M-A-C-K-O-D dot com. That's podcast at Mackie's We're going to select from our grab bag of goodies here, and that's from all the different manufacturers and brands we work with. They send us all these goodies. We've got travel mugs, hats, T-shirts. I particularly like the Ford pickup. That the, they said. The, the Ford pickup. That one, I think it's in the bottom of the bag, so it might <laughs> be a few weeks before we pick out the okay. Ford pickup. But uh, we'll pick you know a random item we've got here. We'll send a little thank you note to you. And appreciate uh, you know your feedback and ideas for the podcast. So for not this episode, but on the next one, anybody emails us at podcast at dot com, we'll uh, pick a, ra- a winner at random, and then we'll pick a prize at random. Wow! So fun. Thing these we'll be doing prizes
1: may be worth you know thousands of dollars. They may be.
0: They might be. I mean, a, a good fitting hat that's priceless. I know.
1: <laughs> Especially
0: when you have a head the size of mine. <laughs> All right. So, today's episode, we're right smack uh, in the beginning of, or I think we're getting right to the middle of June here, a special month for us.
1: Very special, and uh, it's National Pollinator Week, the 17th of June through the 23rd, and it's the 12th anniversary of the start of that. So, it's only been around for a few years, pollinators are... Uh, a, a relatively new hot topic that we're in both the science and in the public are just learning about.
0: Who founded Pollinator Week? Or is it is it coming from a particular Well, probably God did, but, the, yeah. you know,
1: then. Uh, this is kind of his creation. Yeah, and yeah. then there was, uh, <laughs> was it Brian uh, the bee? Uh, was it from Monty Python? Was it Brian? I don't know. I don't know. Well, who knows? Okay.
0: Well, anyway, we're still celebrating no matter what. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you celebrate with mead,
1: not beer or champagne. You, with mead, with mead, and of course that's liquor made from
0: honey. Oh, it reminds me of those Bud Light commercials. <laughs> <laughs> dilly dilly, uh, cool. But there's a story here. Yes, there is.
1: It's a it's a wonderful story, and it's it's been happening, it's been developing over uh, millions of years, really, Terry, um, because. <laughs> What we have is we have a synergistic relationship here. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect marriage where the plant needs something from the bee and the bee is attracted to the flower that's giving something to attract the bee. And together they make wonderful babies together. It's wonderful. The plant makes the, uh, produces is able to produce seed and, and
0: the, uh, the bees are be able to, to raise their broods. Right, right. I mean, sometimes it begs for the debate. You know, what came first, the the plant or the pollinator?
1: Well, as as I told you, I think the flowers were first pollinated by elephants, but that didn't work out, so, you know,
0: so the, the bees the, took over. The bees were more efficient. Yeah, so
1: the plant was here before the bees. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: Cool. So, you know, what's at the core of this relationship we have but, yeah, here?
1: Well, you know, it, uh, just like with uh, animals or people, most plants, now there, there's a... Uh, there's a lot of things that we don't know about plants. A lot of things that we do, but plants are uh, really uh, different in some cases. But in most cases, we we need to get the DNA from the daddy plant to the DNA of the mommy plant to make uh, a seed. For and this is the best way that nature has to get uh, different changes in the in 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 individuals Mm -hmm. and then if uh if evolution um takes over uh, some traits over the years may be more successful than others and that's what happens but uh if that didn't change then there could be some catastrophic results if the the character of a plant was always the same it could could be bad for the species
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: but um there's a lot of male-female relationships now. Some plants have uh, what's called a perfect flower. The male parts are on the same flower as the female
0: plants. Okay,
1: okay, that's a an Asiatic lily, for example, an Easter lily. Oh, you can okay. see both the male and the female plants. They're very large. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some have male and female flowers on the same plant, but they appear at different times, like the squash plant. I mean, every Italian knows and most gardeners know that you can take these male squash flowers that appear earlier and deep fry them with uh, some sort of cheese mix inside, dip them in batter and then deep fry them and they're just mm, very good. Really? Very good. Yeah. Dip them in a little bit of sauce. You can almost have them like an appetizer. Oh, okay. But you don't want to do that to the female flowers because they're going to produce the squash or the pumpkins or the cucumbers, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so you don't want to take all the male flowers too. But the male flowers come up before the female flowers. Mm -hmm. They come up at a different type, at a different position in the plant. Okay. But the pollen, because of the pollinator, Yeah. is, is successfully transferred. Hopefully, sometimes we have, uh, lately, there's been a lot more failures. Uh, You know, my zucchini, we used to have great zucchini, but now I don't have any. I didn't get anything. Yeah. Well, maybe that's because we're running out of pollinators. Did you ever think of that? Or Hmm. maybe the weather wasn't right for the pollinators to have. I mean, you had female flowers, you had male flowers, but they didn't get together and the way they get together is through the pollinators. Now, there are plants just like humans that are male plants and female plants. These these are the hollies. This you need and this is where you need to buy. When you buy a holly, you need to buy a female plant and you need to have a male around. Now, it can be 20 females to one male. Yeah. And lucky when I come guy. when I come right. back, yeah, <laughs> in, in another life I want to be a male holly, okay? But uh, there's enough pollen to go around there, and just have to plant that male closer, closer by. Now, the, there are some oddballs, like the dandelion. Yeah. And I just learned this about a year ago. Dandelions don't need to be pollinated in order to form seed. It's a big genetic... Uh, there's a, a term for it, but uh, we won't need to go into that. Just know that... Uh, don't blame the pollinators. Just because they're lighting on the dandelion flower... They did not cause all those dandelions in your lawn. Oh, man. The dandelions did.
0: The dandelions did it on their they own. They
1: did it. And uh, we'll get into that sometime, but we'll have to make sure the audience is over 18.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The explicit episodes. Yeah. How does the fertilization actually work? Well, there's, there's, two, there's two ways a plant can be pollinated, okay?
1: There's wind pollination, and then there's pollination by animals, insects, birds, butterflies, uh Even in the tropics, bats. Yeah. Okay. Now, wind-pollinated plants are trees, many trees. Uh, All of your grains and grasses like wheat, rice, uh, corn, for example. Now, when you look at the Midwest, a lot of the fields out there, a lot of that land is all that. Wind-pollinated. Wind-pollinated. And the trees, when you have all your allergies, and if you look out on your car in the morning, it's just full of pollen. That's tree pollen. And you can see how much is out there. So, in, when when a plant is wind pollinated, the, the male flower or the male portion of the flower has to produce a, just a gob of, uh, of of pollen to ensure that the right tree is going to get the right pollen.
0: It's a numbers game. Oh, it is. And you know, you're sneezing and hacking through it all. Right. Right. Yeah. So we're we're just in the way of these plants doing their work. Right. That's why I grow my nose hairs very long. Yeah. <laughs> The wisdom. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, you learn over the
1: years. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, of course, then there's the pollinators, which is a more specific relationship that's developed over the years. Now there's pollinators that are only... Will only visit certain flowers at certain times of the year, like the mason bee. Mason yeah. bee is going to hit orchards, and they're going to be most active in the spring. The squash bee only visits the squash plant, and uh, there's an interesting story there that we'll have to get in another episode. But it's just absolutely fascinating of how the, mason, the how the squash bee, uh, you know, finds a mate. Uh, but anyway, mm. uh, it's a very specific relationship that has developed over millions of years. And some are very specific, and some, uh, like we'll say, the bumblebee. It's any port in a storm for a bumblebee. Yeah, uh, it'll go to any plant where it can get pollen and, and nectar uh-huh. uh, to 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 raise its brood. Uh, a honeybee the same way. Honeybee is going to go after a specific crop uh, when it's abundant. That's why you have different types of of honey. You have spring honey, you have midseason honey, and then you have the fall honey right well it, it's it, they're whole different flavors and they are uh different colors and they're from predominantly uh
0: different plants right and, and, and then that perfect you know segue into the gift i got you i know thank you so much which uh this past weekend i was at the town of columbia has to save the bees festival uh-huh. and our tent was right next to uh shook's apiaries uh-huh. and they had all these different honey set out and they had it lined up from light like a medium color uh-huh. and then to a dark color uh-huh. and so i've got those here for you today uh-huh. and i was hoping and, and all that's dependent on what flowers are in bloom yeah. when the bees are collecting their nectar yep. and bringing it back to produce the honey um, he was saying that the spring flow sometimes is very difficult to get but if, it, if the conditions are right right which he had this year mm-hmm. you've got that nice light colored spring flow all right in front of you there so if you could for us, could you, you give us a taste in, and what are the the in the flavors between the three as you go through them? Okay,
1: all mm-hmm. right, Terry. It's my pleasure to taste the Did various it. honeys. I'm going for the spring honey. Okay, this is very light. It's like a shorter than an A. Oh, you know,
0: you know very much so. It does very, look, very yeah. much. And yeah. then I will
1: dip the dip the spoon, this very special spoon, into it and let's taste this from our from our honey
0: smallier here.
1: You know, it is very, very light. It, 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 it's like a a, a very shallow uh, honey flavor. It's a lot like an uh, agave nectar. Really? Thick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Shall we go to the... Uh, what, what, what color jar number you, two. Yeah, jar number two, which is mid-season. What, what, what color would you say that was? That's not quite an amber. It's more like a cider...
0: Yeah, a yeah, cider. yeah. Uh, I think amber. that's yeah. a very light brownish color. Uh, ah, yeah. now
1: I'm getting a honey flavor, but this is a this is more than a honey flavor. There's another flavor in it. You know, like a good a good beer. Yeah, you have those esters that that bring in flavors from the. This this has got it. So it's very aromatic, almost, almost. aromatic, perfumey. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is great. That, that's perfect on a crumpet. Let me tell you, toasted crumpet. All right. And then we're gonna go for the fall honey. The fall honey, the
0: darkest of the three, which is a, a almost molasses looking. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, how can we relate that to wine? What's the wine there? Oh, that's a cabernet. Oh, cabernet. Yeah. Full bodied. Uh huh. Oh, and it is. Mm. But it's still. It almost has an, a citrus essence to it. Really? Yeah. So we have three different honeys from the same bees, but from different sources.
0: And it's all different. It's, it's, it makes life worth living. Well, that's very cool. So, I mean, that just, you know, kind of, it's a, a prime example of these bees as they're, you know, out there. GJ uh, Shooks was telling us that he's got uh, 50 hives around the Willimantic-Windham area. Yep. And, you know, depending on what's in flowers, what the nectar they're bringing back and the different color and shade and yeah. flavor yeah. of honey that they're producing. That's right. Um, and you
1: are so lucky to have a guy like uh, Mr. Shooks in the, uh, in the area because, you look, you, you get the honey from the honeybees and uh, just the variety and the knowledge that it's right there. The relationship becomes real.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and so you can find him at the Willimantic Farmer's Market on Saturdays. I would definitely recommend stopping and talk to him. He had a display hive uh-huh. that he keeps just. It's a fully functional hive. It's yeah. got two panels on it, yeah. and I probably asked him about twenty five minutes worth of questions, <laughs> and we both could have kept going. But then you know we had to tend to everybody that was visiting us at the sure. festival. It was incredible of how fast he could point out the queen. That it just blew my mind. And then they even had a book on you know, I spy find the queen. Oh really? And nobody else could do it except for him and his wife would just be like, Oh, there she is. And they would look at the other bees and how the other bees were surrounding the queen. Uh, And that's how they found it. I still couldn't do it. So it's it's, yeah, but you know, he knows what he's doing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So anyway, that was fantastic. And you know, kind of showing a a visual representation, you know, I'll take a picture. I'll put it in the, uh, the notes on the website of the different varieties or the different shades of uh, these honey jars here mm-hmm. cool so that brings us to what attracts the bees to these different plants or what are the pollinators to these different plants what is driving them to show up at this flower and
1: yeah well that you know the bee doesn't go there just for the heck of it I mean, if it didn't have any nectar or pollen to give the the bee the flower would probably never be or would still be wind pollinated you know yeah so uh there's a couple of ways uh first by the color of the flower now bees don't see a flower like we do they see in uh, many different spectrums other than the the, the, the light spectrums that we see mm-hmm. so it, it i am told by bees and bee experts that uh it looks like a target From uh, if you can picture a flower like a a dandelion for example that it's just not all yellow but there's different there's a target there uh saying that this is the flower that i am and here come and get it and this is where to come so
0: so it's not really the bee looking at like oh
1: man oh no gorgeous gorgeous flower no No. well it might be i don't know you know i haven't i haven't spoken to many bees about that but it does it does identify the flower from the foliage yeah Okay. okay so there's a target there now uh, just like in Halloween, kids wouldn't come around to your doors if there weren't treats to be given out, right? Mm-hmm. All right, So the flower has to come up with treats, and it does that in a couple of ways. One, uh, nectar in yeah. many cases, and also, and that's used as a sugar source, uh, a, a fuel, if you will, for the bees, and they're young. And, of course, honeybees, for example, will process that through their stomachs and come up with, with honey. Uh, as as their source, and it's very concentrated. And so they have to visit a, a lot of be- a lot of flowers in order to get just a little bit of honey. Um, and also the pollen. Now all the pollen is collected by the by the bees or the butterflies or the hummingbirds uh, as a pollen source, and it's accidentally um, left. Pieces of pollen are left on different visitations to different flowers. So little bit goes to, the, it's like when you pick blueberries in a you U-pick, mm-hmm. some for me, some for the basket. Okay, that's the way it goes. Oh, I got
0: you, yeah, got yeah, you. Maybe some on the ground for the birds.
1: Nah, no. Nah. No, avoid that. <laughs> okay, and then other plants provide, and this is, this is really uh, weird. Uh, some plants just give you accommodations. Um, uh, the skunk cabbage, for example. When do skunk cabbages come up uh, early spring, March? Yep, ground yeah. Ground still may be frozen, they're the first up, but actually their metabolism, uh, the same sulfur compounds that give it its weird scent, yeah also produce warmth. And so when the flower for the skunk cabbage comes out of the ground, what it does is it heats up the ground and actually provides a little warm cabin for those early bird insects to go in, mostly flies. But uh, that's how the skunk cabbage attracts them to pollinate that flower. And then maybe the next day they're in another flower. And maybe the next day they're in another flower uh, so that, that they pollinate different flowers. And then maybe there's a spider in the fifth one and the spider has to eat too. So Ooh, yeah. 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 Well, if I was a spider, that would be smart to hang out in a skunk cabbage. right? It,
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a place I don't want to hang out. It doesn't yeah. sound too appealing, except I, for the
1: warmth, except for the warmth. The warmth, yeah, 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 you take your chances. And then one final example is uh, the possibility of finding a mate. Many of tropical orchids, believe it or not, have structures in the flower that look like a bee. I mean, and, and if you look at an orchid, you can almost see that. Uh, and according to the bee eyesight, it looks like a female might be there, and they... He just goes into that flower and starts, you know, it's kind of a blow-up, a bee blow-up doll, I guess. Uh, Okay. (laughs) You know? And uh, finding out, well, this is not real, but in the meantime, he's... Is in collecting there collecting pollen, pollen yeah. depositing pollen. And, That's right. And uh, So, I mean, there's a lot of tricks to the trade, evidently. And uh,
0: I'm sure there's a, a many, many more. But uh, those are yeah. a few that I'm aware of. Yeah, not, not a reproductive process for the bee, but the, the plant is well, the plant, right, getting it its pollen for the It has bee production. to attract. Yeah. yeah, it has happened over millions and millions of years. And these are the tricks that have worked the best.
1: Yeah. And they still work the best. The kids still come for Halloween. Well, let's not go any farther
0: than that. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Yeah. So anyway, like, what are the po- types of pollinators we have? We were talking about the honeybee yep. and a little bit of some other varieties of bees, but that's not 100% of what's pollinating our plants.
1: No, 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 no. Of the animal pollinated plants, the honeybee, uh, which most people think is the predominant pollinator out there, well, it can be and it is for major uh, crops out there like w- apples and blueberries and, pumpkins and uh, almonds for example uh there is a billion dollar business out there of raising bees in hives delivering them to orchards at the time of flowering so that the flowers can be pollinated and then putting them back on a truck and now we're talking about thousands of hives because we're talking about thousands of acres of almonds for example yeah uh and if they're not pollinated
0: the farmer doesn't get any fruit and then he doesn't get paid Yeah, and and honeybees, I read, are are preferred because of their ability, after they're done working all day, they come back to the hive, Uh, and then they can be easily transported to the next farm. mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes, you know, from California, almond trees, or the almond, we'll call it, it a grove, I don't know, almond farm. Orchard. Orchard. Yeah. Almond orchard. Uh, in California, and right. then brought east to Michigan or up to Washington right. or Connecticut for our spring flowering and spring fertilization right. for, all, for all our fall harvest.
1: Most of the time it's north south to north because that's the progression of flowers. No. Yeah, think of a honeybee as a good, dependable husband. Goes to work, comes home. Right. Goes to work, comes home. Think of a native honeybee, uh, a, excuse me, a native bee as kind of a, a biker. A biker- Goes to work and works hard, and then he may go to this bar, or that bar. I mean, of course, I'm stereotyping here, but right. he, he, may, <laughs> he may go to the reservoir with his buddies. You never know where he's going to end up. Sure, but uh, and he's you never know when he's going to get there. Yeah, uh, but he works very hard during the
0: day, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's a rough and tumble type of guy. Yeah, yeah. So I di- I did read that the honeybees, being the preferred pollinator, they have tried so many ways to augment and find some sort of manufactured way to pollinate these orchards. Mm -hmm. And nothing has come close to the efficiency and effectiveness of the bee. That's right. Like they tried everything up to like basically loading a shotgun cartridge with pollen and shooting it out into the orchard. And it just, and nothing has worked, you know, even coating the orchard with pollen. And it's just not working because of the thousands and thousands of plants a single bee will travel to within one day. Right.
1: Well, you know, we think we're pretty smart, but uh, this has been going on for a long, long time,
0: Terry. You can't beat 100 million years of experience. uh, I don't
1: even can't imagine what 100 million years is. (laughs) That's more fingers than I have.
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: (laughs) And we've only been celebrating for 12. Look at us. That's right. Oh, man. So we have have different... different relationships uh, the honeybees so they, they are, they're big on the commercial scale but around the backyard if you're lucky to have uh, a guy like mr shooks in the uh, in, in the neighborhood well mm-hmm. you may get some of his bees to come over and hopefully you do uh but uh, the native pollinators have been here for a long time when you think that the pollen of the honeybees were, were are European in origin, and they were brought here by the colonists. Uh, the, the American Indian had uh, raised corn, pumpkins, beans, and a few other things. Of course, there's a lot of plants here that need pollinating that they, that they actually went out into the woods and foraged but they were doing just fine without the honeybees and why because they had native pollinators that had developed over those 100 million years with those plants and maybe had specific or unspecific uh pollinating responsibilities and and, and tendencies Uh, Also, there's butterflies. uh, Yeah. And there are hummingbirds for those trumpet flower, trumpet shaped flowers. Uh, A hummingbird, especially in the tropics. uh, We only have one
0: hummingbird here. Um,
1: That must be my lawyer.
0: Or it's our, it's the growing home hotline.
1: It it is. Hello? Yes, you won. Thank you.
0: (laughs) All right. So uh, anyway,
1: where was I? Uh, yes, the, pollen, the 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 native, hummingbirds, the the hummingbirds, the yes. hummingbirds are, are predominantly in the tropic. We only have one species of hummingbird here in the United in the United States east of the Mississippi, and that's the ruby throated hummingbird. Right, and it it will feed on most trumpet flowers, trumpet shaped flowers, from the tiniest to the biggest. Uh, but it accumulates pollen on its beak and its forehead, and that's how it transfers
0: uh, pollen. So it works there well there. Fascinating, and Len, I have a, I have a joke for you. You do, I do. What superpower does a hummingbird have? Don't know. They can see into the fuchsia. Okay, getting on Terry here. <laughs> uh, how about you, you 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 you? That that's a homegrown joke, right? I there. guess so. Yeah, too many too many hours in the garden center. <laughs>
1: uh, but then we have the bumblebees. We have flies. Like uh, uh, there's a number of uh, plants, especially native plants, that are uh, pollinated by flies, and you know that goes grosses people out. But the, the pawpaw, which is a native tree, uh, is pollinated by flies. Um, skunk cabbage by flies. It, it's a, it's a, it's a there's a myriad of plants out there that have distasteful t- scents that uh, attract flies. Of course, there's the mason bee and the squash bee, which are very specialized for those plants, but uh, and beetles. There are a number of beetles that are out there that will pollinate. And they some of these some of these insects are so small mm-hmm. that you have no idea they're there. You are, you're overlooking them. And the, you know the bee and the bubble bee, They're big enough you can see them. Yeah. And they're slow enough so you can see them. Uh, but uh, there's a lot, a lot, tens of thousands of beetles, and flies, and insects that are out there that you can't do won't even notice. Mm-hmm. and the thing is there's a, such a relationship on any one flower you not only have the bees collecting ho- uh, the, the insects collecting honey but you uh, you know the smart predator wasp the smart predator will hang around these flowers because they're being they're attracting their prey so there's a, a, a big circle a big web of uh of action going there hmm. now um i gotta tell you a story about uh we, we talked about the bees. Uh, if you look at a bee, a honeybee, okay, uh, just observe how it lands on the, on a flower. It's uh-huh. like a ballet dancer. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the prima donna. It comes in, it floats in slowly, and it kind of lights on a flower. And it does it so delicately, and then goes in, sips the nectar, and takes the pollen and puts it on its little sacks on its legs and then it will take off and move to another flower. And it does this so gracefully. Yeah. And if you watch, uh, we'll say a mason bee or a squash bee, they, uh, they are different than the honeybees because they're covered with hairs. They're they're, they're, they're really hairy. I mean, like me, they got hair all over their back. <laughs> but anyway, they'll come into a flower and they'll actually do a belly flop and they just go... On, on the pollen they collect their pollen on their bodies and then that's why they're especially very effective they're fast and they're deliberate but they collect it on their body so they can spread the pollen a lot faster and they go ahead and they uh, uh sip the nectar and at the end of the day or at the end of the hour whatever time lunchtime is they go back to their little hive um or nest, I guess it's called, because yeah. native bees don't have hives like, and they don't produce honey, right? Uh, like the honeybees do.
0: Most of them live in the ground, correct? That's right. Yeah. They're, so,
1: they're called solitary bees for a reason. You know, they have young, but uh, uh-huh. they, they have a they have a boyfriend, mm-hmm. maybe, but uh, most of the time they they live their lives pretty much so, uh, as a hermit, wow. in, in the ground, uh-huh. and that's why cultivating the soil can tend to disrupt Ooh. this uh, because, let's say the squash bee. Squash bee builds its nest in the squash field or the pumpkin field. Yeah. Very close by the plants. Yep. And what do you do with the first thing in the uh, in the spring with the pumpkin field? tear your soil. Yeah, to your soil. So you're destroying the nest. So a lot of times I, I talk to a pumpkin grower, a uh, commercial pumpkin grower, and he says, you know, it's very difficult to use the same field twice or in a row. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering whether this has anything to do with it. But oh,
0: that's it, neither here nor there.
1: Yeah. Um. So we have our, our prima donnas, the the honeybees. The honeybees. And then I look at the natives as bulldozers. I mean, these are the <laughs> get-to-work guys. <laughs> and, you know, honeybee is, he gets up when, or she gets up, excuse me. They're all she's. They get up uh, a little bit late. You know, they have their coffee. They go to the spa. And then when it's warm enough they go to work yeah okay as a result uh and then during when it's rainy and uh, the weather's not so good well they stay home yeah or they don't visit many flowers at all whereas the native bees they're out there and working from sun up to sun down in most types of weather just grinding Uh, yep as a result as a result um you know they're much more efficient. As a matter of fact, uh, for instance, mason bees that work on, on, on flowers, they can visit 20,000 to 100,000 flowers a day, <laughs> whereas the honeybee in, in an exact same orchard will only visit 50 to 1,000 flowers a day. So if you have a couple of acres of apples, you'll don't need, you don't need as, as many uh, native bees right? as you do honeybees right and there's mason bee houses available to track them and keep them in your orchard now in those that in that case you can it's a situation where you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink so you may put the house out there yeah. and it
0: may work and it may not work and most
1: times it, they, they, they find a home there for you
0: i mean your best bet right get some uh, flowering plants you know some nectar producing plants put it next to the mason bee house and and the two will work together you give them you give them the home and their forage all in one. Yeah, you stick it right in the orchard. Right. Yep. Right.
1: Yeah, or right in the right in the tree itself. I think that's that's about it. So the the efficiency of uh, of the, the native pollinators
0: is like thirty five to one hundred and fifteen percent more than the honeybees. Right. But the, the reason we use honeybees and honeybees are responsible for such a large percentage of our crops and pollinating such a large percentage of our crops is that these we'll call it for it's not exactly the swarm but the whole colony yep. can be transported because oh, well, they all go back to the hive it's it's ease of operation ease of operation yeah you know now that you know the native bees they're they're so productive thousands of blossoms throughout the day transferring that pollen they're also pretty resourceful in what way from uh from what i understand a lot of them they They'll find natural remedies for themselves oh, amongst yeah. the plants. Oh yeah. Well, you know what that
1: that million hundred million year uh, evolution process. Yeah. Uh, you know the colonists and the Native American Indians knew what plants could give them what remedies, so that they would go to those plants and, and dig up the root and for a toothache or whatever. And well, that that relation same relationship is is affects the bees too and the flowers so uh there's this is this is really new stuff that we smart humans are just finding out Mm -hmm. and uh, you know there's an there was an argument especially in the amazon that we shouldn't be digging up and burning the amazon because there are plants that we haven't discovered there yet and their uses uh you know may be lost to us if we dig them up and it's 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 the truth for example aspirin Mm-hmm. Aspirin is, is is naturally, or that same psilocylic acid is in willow bark. And the Indians used to chew on willow bark for, let's say, a toothache or something like that, just to relieve the pain. Now we have acetaminophen and all the rest of them, but yeah. uh, aspirin is still out there and it's still very effective. And only within the last hundred years has it become a synthetic, you know, made in the lab. Yeah. Uh, before that, we were still chewing on willow bark. <laughs> you know? well the same way with with pollinators if they're sick where do they go we go to a pharmacy right and we take we we buy a decongestant okay well, well when they have the sniffles where do they go um one study that i'm aware of and this there's very few studies far and few between that i've come across um hunt, uh, the bumblebee and, Bees are plagued by parasites too, and there are certain mites that attach rides and they start sucking the juices out of a out of a bee, and so it's very not only irritating but it can weaken a bee. And so uh, there is a compound in a native uh, chelone, and we know that as the turtle head. It's a white turtle head. I've seen it in 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 Connecticut forests, and, and it's available in. in as a native plant. Uh, but the bee goes in to these flowers at a higher rate when it has this mite attached to it. And there's a compound in there which, I, as to my knowledge, is still not identified that helps that bee fight that mite. They, they dislodge it and get it out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so interesting because, you know, there's there's these little natural pharmacies out there that the bees know about. Certainly, the Indians knew about it and the colonists knew about it too. But we're so far away from nature, uh, even though we don't think we are. Yeah. We still go to the pharmacy for the ibuprofen. You
0: know? We do. Well, there's some efficiency there. Right. But that's why it's important.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there is. But uh, if there were no pharmacies, what would happen? if there was no acetaminophen what would happen so this is why it's so important for gardeners for your customers for everyday people to to look out understand and plant native plants because the hydrangea out there is was was developed to attract humans and it does very well the uh, famous bass fishing lure out there it was made to attract bass no was made to attract fishermen, who would think, "Hey, this looks like something a bass might like." Okay, right. Well, it's the same right. same way with plants. Native plants may not be the most eye appealing out there. They're they're not sexy. They're they're not the prima donnas out there. They're not the, the fashion queens. Yeah, but they're the salt of the earth plants that provide. Heaven knows what to the this this relationship that's happened over the last 100 million years. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, you know what one of my favorite native plants that we've been the, people have been seeking out more and more, we have available more and more is the swampweed, the swamp yep. milkweed. Yeah. Uh, which is a I don't want to call it a replacement, but since we have, you know, fading availability of the natural milkweed that's in a a more or less an invasive plant in our area, the swampweed is one you can plant it's not an aggressive proliferator the proliferator and it actually has like a nice pinkish flower on it and that's the home to the monarch butterfly and it has two things for the butterfly the leaves in the stem provide a home for it to go through its caterpillar stages and feed on and then when it finally becomes that butterfly the nectar from the flower is available to feed the fully grown butterfly and then as the let's say the monarch goes through its generations throughout one season. So the the monarchs migrate up here in the spring. I think uh, just about now, early to Mm mid-June, they all started arriving on their journey all the way from the central Mexico area. And they come up here. And then through the summer, multiple generations will be produced. And then finally in September, and it does depend on your zone of when they start heading south again. But for Connecticut, we're, zone 40, we're at latitude 41, which means our zone right around mid-September. The monarchs start heading south again, and will make their journey from Connecticut all the way to Mexico. And that's four generations
1: removed from their great-great-great-grandparents that came up this way. But they don't get lost. How does that happen?
0: I, You know what? They head right to Cancun and spend the winter there. Right, right. You know? I, I've still never been to Cancun, and these no, guys they're are they're like, alive. "Hey, we're going." Yeah,
1: and it, and you have to take American Airlines in order to
0: get there. Yeah, right. And yeah. You probably have to connect through Dallas or something. Yeah, and there's that special <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's that special relationship too. That not only, I mean, milkweeds of different uh, different varieties of native plants, and, and just as an aside here, native plants when you you, they can't be bred. They're not bred like hydrangeas are in in, in a nursery somewhere. Mm-hmm. Most of them, uh, in order to remain native, have to be a natural progression, found, and then propagated. So they still remain native. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And they have to be stable and all that. But in the case of the monarchs, uh, they get the same nutrients uh, from the flower, but also the caterpillars get to eat your plant, and, uh, get the same toxicity. Although in some cases they'll go to, uh, uh, I, I was at a garden center the other day and I was watching this black swallowtail, uh, lighting on the, uh, landing on the only, uh, uh dill plant that was left. And I'm looking at this dill plant and saying, maybe I should pick it up. And then all of a sudden I see the, the black swallowtail lower her, her abdomen and, place a very small egg on it and then go to another part. So by the time she was done, she had put 12 eggs on it. And I'm saying, well, if, if, if I buy this plant, uh, I'm going to get some neighbors and it's going to get eaten. And, I, but I can't, I can't squash the eggs because that would be the wrong thing to do. It would. So I left it there and hopefully somebody else won't notice the eggs and, Bring it home and bring it home, and we'll have a whole new.
0: I mean, what was I going to do? Brood, going, yeah, 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 it's a tough one. Um, <laughs> cool. So you know, as in conjunction with uh, growing, you know, the native plants, plants like the swamp milkweed that promote the monarch butterflies, the the different nectar producing plants that help the bees or become available for the bees, and you know, creating that environment for them, and us gardeners doing our part. There's also some safer practices we can do Definitely. with different insecticides we're using in the garden actually the one that we were asked to bring to the save the bees festival was bt um, which is an insecticide a natural insecticide that was
1: is a bacteria that
0: yeah right yeah it's a yeah. it's a bacteria that becomes toxic right to the insects however it's not. the lepidopter the the worms the the caterpillars Yes. Yeah. Actually, that's what everybody's really interested in, right? We have the (laughs) the gypsy monster back, the caterpillars are out, and we're looking for something. You know, they're invading our trees. Right. And we want something to treat them. Right. However, especially with the group that, you know, attends the Save the Bees Festival.
1: Yeah, the butterflies. You're killing the butterflies? Yeah.
0: Well, uh, right. Right. (laughs) So, anyway, the... The Bt, it's safe for the bees that bacteria produces this protein crystal that's toxic to right. the caterpillars. However, is not toxic to the bees.
1: That's right. Just remember, though, when it's how you apply it and when you apply it. Just like you right. said, uh, a gypsy moth caterpillar is going to go up a tree and it's going to chew on a leaf, right? Yep. Okay, to foliate its plant. And that's how it picks up the Bt mm-hmm. toxin. Right. It's okay. contact. Right. Okay. Now, uh, uh, let's say a monarch butterfly uh, caterpillar uh, is eating that is eating that plant too, but it's you know toxic as anything. Now it, it may affect it or not, but the butterfly itself, uh, if it was on another plant getting nectar, um, would only be touching the flower. Now there's this: how much of the toxin is absorbed into the plant and all that. General rule of thumb. Don't, whether you're using organic pesticides like uh, BT or commercial pesticides, and I'm going to have to spank your hand when you do, but uh, don't, never, 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 never uh, spray when the flowers or when a plant is flowering. Do it before yep. or do it after, mm-hmm. but not during. And yep. that way you'll protect the pollinators.
0: Right. And so I think with that, you know, using the, the safer insecticide and also uh, safe practices, you know, we can do our part too, and you know, it's right. part of managing our garden. And I think that's at least the the better approach we'd recommend. To know people. your
1: pest, know your pesticide, and know how it works. Yeah, yeah. And uh, any stop at Mackey's can ex- explain. I mean, you can read it on the back of the package too. Yeah. But it's so important to know that, uh, and the people at Mackey's uh, can tell you how it works and what not to do
0: yeah i mean honestly our our team this is like something they're all fascinated we sent a whole group uh to you know a full day kind of a refresher training um in february getting ready for this and and understanding the different uh pesticides out there safe application because not only are we concerned about the pollinators and and making sure that's safe but you know also safety for ourselves and safety for Um, our pets that's probably the biggest question we get being both pet supply and garden center that's right it's the same way with pets too yeah yep you got to be safe so um with that i think we've made our run through uh our pollinator topic in honor of pollinator month ta-da there we are and again please email us your questions suggestions thoughts even just any email, a blank email, will get you entered into the grab bag drawing <laughs> that for next blank week. blank
1: email? This is like Craig Ferguson uh, reading uh, I will just,
0: As long as we can reply back and tell you you've won. <laughs> 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 yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know what? Uh, you can you can write your request on the back of a $20
0: bill that might get you. Uh, you know, it will be at random, but uh, <laughs> there probably won't be a return on that $20. <laughs> no, <so>. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <laughs> all hey, right. Thanks, Terry. Awesome, Len. Well, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. You betcha. Thank you all for listening. For notes from this episode, visit the podcast section of our website at mackeysgrows.com. Also, we'd love to hear your topic ideas or questions, so drop us a line through our website's contact page. If you found the information in this podcast useful or simply just enjoyed our chat, we'd truly appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on your preferred listening app. It helps share our show with others and lets us know to keep working hard. Thanks again, and remember... Where that is and what you love, that's home. Mackeys, where the home grows.